Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. We're so thrilled you could all join us, people across the city, across the nation, around the world. We know we're all online. We're in lockdown, 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 kind of a triple lockdown. But here we are. What are we going to do? We're going to celebrate Mother's Day. So this year, my Mother's Day message is entitled Motherhood, the Time of Your Life. And it's sort of a little play on words, kind of like this, sort of three things. Number one, it's a season, the time of your life, a season in your life. Number two, it could be the time of your life, this time of joy and excitement and happiness. Or putting in a sarcastic spin on it, oh yeah, this is really the time of my life. <laughs> and so it could be one of those others. I told my daughter that, who's a, a mom, and she's got a two-year-old, a three-year-old, one on the way. I said, I'm calling it motherhood, the time of your life. She says, That totally describes my life. She says, at one moment, we're laughing, we're having a great time, and I'm happy. A few moments later, I'm screaming and want to run away with a circus. (laughs) You know, this is why I chose to be a grandfather. Now, I'm loving this grandparenting thing. It's way better than parenting. If I'd known, I would have done that instead. But, you know, I don't know if the math works, but I'm telling you, it's way better. This is what I do. I go over, love my grandkids. I go over there. I feed them candy. I feed them McDonald's. I whip them into a frenzy. And then when they're bouncing off the walls, I say, well, time to go. And I leave them to my poor daughter who has to put them to bed. And they literally can't for two hours. Reminds me a little of a story. It's a true story. This, this, this woman uh, called her friend and she phoned up and she said, how are you doing today? She says, how am I doing? I'm terrible. My head is splitting. My back is killing me. The house is a mess. The kids are driving me crazy. She says, don't you worry. I'm going to run over right now. You go down, lie down, have a rest. I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to take care of the kids. And I'm going to make supper for the family. What time does Sam get home? The mother says, Sam? My husband's name is not Sam. The woman says, oh, I think I've called the wrong number. Then there was a long pause to which the mother said, you're still coming over though, right? (laughs) You know, Mother's Day is, you know, this one day that we set aside a year to honor mothers for everything they do. It can't possibly make up for the other 364 days, but it's a start. And I always think adult children should do something really special for their mothers like move out before they're 40. That's what I think. And it's important because I'll tell you why. We're going to be talking about a mother of grown children today. It's this great story. Uh, It's in the book of Matthew. We rarely think of motherhood in these terms, but today we're going to look at it. So we are in Matthew chapter 20. This is the story of the mother of James and John. We normally call them the sons of Zebedee. We're going to look at this story, find out what it's all about. So here it is. It says in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, the brothers, and they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. 
But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Well, any of you that have heard me preach know I love this story. And the reason I love this story and I tell this story normally is I like where it goes. It's one of the greatest leadership lessons in the entire Bible because it's about servant leadership. Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom is servant of all. And that's normally where I go with the story, but not today. The other thing I love to do with this story, you probably know this, is I like to make fun of, of, you know, James and John's mother because it's kind of funny. When we look at this story, we know this, that James and John are called the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee was their father. So they're called the sons of Zebedee. But that's not what Jesus called them. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Why did he call them the sons of thunder? I think, I think that was their mother's name, thunder. That's what I think. I think every time she came on the scene, it was like, oh no, here comes thunder. And what we're going to do today, whether that's true or not, is we're going to look at the lessons of motherhood from little Mrs. Thundercloud. And that's what I'm going to call her today because I'm sure she was an interesting character to have on the team. So here's the four lessons that we're going to look at today uh, about James and John's mother. Number one, she had a relationship with Jesus. Number two, she had a relationship with her sons. Number three, she brought them to Jesus. And number four, she knew how to pray. So the first thing is this, is that this mother, she had a relationship first and foremost with Jesus. I want you to think about this. She actually went right to Jesus and had direct contact with Jesus. Now, how was that possible? How was it of all the people that she had access, somehow she could get right to Jesus? Wouldn't you love to be able to get to right to Jesus and have a personal audience with him in the flesh? She was able to do that. How and why? I'll tell you why. Because she had a relationship with him. She was part of the entourage. She traveled with them. I mean, you look at this picture. I've told you this before, that when you look at the best disciples, they often aren't the men. The men were okay, but the women, they excelled the rest of them. And you look at this woman here, we know two things about her. Number one, she was there at the crucifixion. Number two, she went to the tomb to, to pr- prepare Jesus' body. Well, the men were all hiding behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. And so here's one of the things I want to say right at the top, right at the outset here, that I don't want you to miss, is that if you are going to succeed as a parent, mother or a father, The most important single thing is this, to have a genuine relationship with Jesus. And as simple as that sounds, I'm not kidding about this. There's nothing more powerful than this idea of relationship. Because when we look at Christianity, a lot of times we've reduced it to something it's not, which is religion. And religion is not very compelling to people. Young people, children, young adults, teenagers, the last thing they're interested in is religion. Religion is what? It's rules, it's regulations, they're not interested in that. Relationships, what it's all about. And that separates Christianity from every other world religion. This thing called relationship. And you see, if it's just about the rules and regulations, we're not going to get very far with that. Because we're not even very good at them. And you know, our kids, our kids of all people, they actually know that we're not the best behaved. They actually have this crap detector that's built into their system. And they see our hypocrisy way before we do. And if you think you can fool your kids, you got another thing coming. Do you honestly think that you can, your kids don't know who you are? 
I mean, <laughs> I have to deal with this all the time because my kids are in the church and I'm up here telling some story about my family and there'll be kids. This was in the days when people were allowed to come to church. There'll be kids sitting behind my kids that'll tap them on the shoulder and say, is that story true? <laughs> my kids will tell them the truth and say, well, mostly, mostly true. <laughs> and, you know, so you have to deal with the fact that, you know, you're not perfect. And this is what our kids need to know. We, don't, we aren't perfect. We don't pretend to be perfect. What we are is imperfect people with a relationship with a perfect God. Let me tell you something about being a pastor. Because when we look at what happens in our world today, we have this huge dropout rate of young people. We are in, I think, the greatest generational church dropout in human history. I'm going to show you the stats. They're frightening. I want to show them to you up on the screen. Uh, as far as young adults go, two-thirds of them are going to drop out by the time they're in their 20s. It's a terrible thing, and we know that that's true. I hear it from parents all the time whose kids were once in the church or grew up in the church, and they've left the church. I know many, many pastors who've lost their own kids, and there's a reason for it. Now, we'll just look at this. is what the same research shows this. They ask these young people who've left, Why? Here's the top five reasons. Uh, they they moved, went to college and just stopped going to church. Pretty common. Number two, they think that church members are too judgmental and hypocritical, right up near the top. Number three, they don't feel connected to the people in their church. Number four, they disagree with the church's stance on political and social things. And then they just have lame excuses like, you know, their job or whatever is drawing them away and they don't have time for it anymore. And so those are the kind of reasons that are there. And how are you going to address those? Is it going to work if we try to be more perfect, if we try to act better, if we try to do more and do harder? I don't think that is going to be the secret. I don't think that's going to be the trick to leading young people back to Christ. I think we're better off for them to see that we're imperfect and that we have a genuine relationship with Jesus. And you know, here's one of the things I've done, and you may like it or not like it, but it's the truth, is that I decided I wasn't going to hide any of my faults from my kids. It drives my wife crazy, but I just decided they can see who I am. I mean, here's the problem with being a pastor. You're up here waxing eloquently and waxing all holy on Sunday morning, and then you go home, you live average, or in my case, below average. So, so what's the point in trying to hide something from them? They're going to know. So instead, I thought, ah, I'm just going to let it hang out, and they can either love me or love me. One of the two. And so I'll give you a little story about this true story. So uh, for many years, I drove my kids to, to school, and they, probably you have a school like this where they have this you know, very particular routine that you have to keep. You drive in a certain way down this lane. You drop your kids off. You go out. Everybody's moving in the same direction. You know, you got to do it right. It was a lot of trouble for me. I didn't like that. I'm not a big rule guy to begin with. And so anyway, one day I was late, dropping my kid off, my daughter off at school. I was a bit late, had to get to a meeting. So I just pulled up in front of the school. And I said, I'm just dropping you off here. Just get out, go in. No one's going to know. She says, I'm not going in. I said, no, you've got to go in. I said, I'm going to be late. If you don't get out, I'm going to be late. She says, no, pup, you're breaking the rules. I said, listen, rules are meant to be broken. She said, Pop, that's really bad parenting advice. You know that, don't you? I said, I know it's bad parenting advice, but I just need you to do it today. Just go in this door so I can, I can get to my meeting. She says, I'm not getting out of the car. You're driving me around like every other parent. So I drove her around like every other parent. And I want you to see what happened here. My daughter rebelled against me and kept the rules. <laughs> 
Now, I'm not telling you this is going to work for you, but it worked for me. You say, you know, Pastor Mark, it is a bit of a miracle that your kids have turned out as well as they have. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because they have a good mother. <laughs> There's a big difference. This is a motherhood message, right? So I'm not going to take credit for anything. Here's how our relationship and our family works. See, I'm all talk, no action. Kathy's all action, no talk. You figure out which, which one works better. You know, you know what my daughter said to me one day? She said, Pop, you know, you should change your name to Robert Loblaw. I said, why would I change my name to Robert Loblaw? She says, then you'll be Pastor Bob Blah Blah. <laughs> you get it, don't you? It's super funny. So, <laughs> Pastor Drain thinks it's funny. You know, there's this story of this mom. She's worried about her son and what her son's going to amount to. He's a teenager at this point. And so she comes up with this little scheme that she's going to test him. And so in the kitchen table, she sets up a bottle of whiskey, a $20 bill, and a Bible. And then the husband comes home and says, what's this doing sitting on the, on the kitchen table? And she says, well, when, when Johnny comes home, I'm going to see which one he takes. And if he takes the bottle, I know he's going to be a drunk. If she takes a $20 bill, I know he's going to be a businessman. If he takes the Bible... I know he's going to be the preacher I've always wanted. So the two of them hide behind the door, and little Johnny comes in. He goes into the kitchen. He looks this way, looks that way. First thing he does is cracks the bottle, has a big swig, sticks it in his jacket. Then he goes takes the $20 bill, sticks it in his pocket. Then he grabs a Bible, Bible, tucks it under his arm, and walks away. And so then the, the mother says, I don't know what this means. And the husband says, it's worse than you thought, honey. He's going to be a politician. (laughs) True story that happened in my house when I was growing up. All right. So I want to tell you a little story about someone you probably know, probably have seen on TV. If you've ever watched the show, everyone loves Raymond. Now, there's a a woman, an actress by the name of, uh, get it, Mark? Heaton. Heaton. What's her first name? Sorry? Patricia Heaton, thank you, in the middle there. Everybody loves Raymond. She was the wife, Deborah, and that was her role on that particular show. Now, by the way, everybody didn't love Raymond. I couldn't stand this show. He was whiny. He was a weasel. He was annoying on every level. Anyway, she was great on the show, but I never watched it much. That's why I couldn't remember her name. And uh, the reason was, just didn't like it. But... You know, so everybody doesn't love Raymond, but everybody kind of loved her. And when this show ended, she went on, and her career was really taken off. I think Ray Romano, I think he, like, runs a Uber or delivers pizza or something now. I'm not sure what he does. But I want to tell you this story, because she went on, and she did the mother in, in the show The Middle. Have you ever seen The Middle? Much better show, much funnier. Uh, of course, this quirky family, great, love those quirky families. She's got another show again now. But I want to tell you her journey through life. So here was her story. When she was 12 years old, her mother actually passed away. And she was brought up in this Christian home, and her mother was very devout. But unfortunately, at 12, you imagine losing your mother when you're 12 years old. So she had some really tough teen years and got into her 20s and really kind of went off the rails and went astray, living in New York City and going to acting school. Finally, she she moved to to, uh, Hollywood, and she was going to try her hand at acting. She wasn't really making a go of it, just kind of barely eking out a living. And she had never really lost contact with her faith, but she certainly wasn't fully engaged in it. And she made this decision that she was going to go on this mission trip with this group of people from her church. And they went to Tijuana, Mexico. And they got into Tijuana, Mexico, and they were actually went and worked in an orphanage. And she had this epiphany. And she thought to herself, here I am wanting to be successful and wanting this great career. And all the time there's a greater purpose for my life. 
And she decided right then and there that she was going to recommit her life to Christ, that she was going to live for Christ, and she was going to live to serve others, particularly children, was where her heart was. And she thought, if I don't ever make it as an actress, I don't care. The moment she made that decision and made something else a priority in her life, her relationship with Christ, her career took off and she got the role in Everybody Loves Raymond. And then it just went on and on from there. And she actually has made, obviously, as you might expect, a lot of money. She's given hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars to charity, particularly children's charities. And uh, then she was, became the honorary chairperson of Feminists for Life. You didn't know there was a Feminist for Life, but there was. And so she decided she was going to live like a Christian within the Hollywood ecosystem, no matter what happened. So on one particular year, she was invited to be a presenter at the American Music Awards. And the hosts of that event were the Osbournes. Ozzy Osbourne, Sharon Osbourne, and those two dopey kids of theirs. And the whole event was completely foul. And she thought, I can't stand this. This is, this is unbecoming. It's foul. It's disgusting. And she had decided, even before she did her presentation, to get up and walk out and left the event. Of course, she got criticized for that, as you could well imagine. But she said she got thousands and thousands of letters from people thanking her for taking a stand for what was right and standing against the moral degradation of Hollywood. Now, the reason I'm telling you this big, long story is to lead you to what is really the issue in her life. You see, she's always played a great mom on TV because she actually is a great mom. And she has four kids. Here's a picture with her and her four kids. And uh, they've all grown up. They're in their 20s now. They all love, love Jesus. They're all great kids. And the one thing that she did, because imagine how busy she would have been. She would have been really, really, really busy as a person, but she always made her parenting her and her relationship with Jesus as her priority. And as a result, the kids have turned out, in her words, uh, tremendously and, and wonderfully. Now, she says her own re- only regret is this, that her own children have never seen a single episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. See, apparently I'm not the only one that doesn't love Raymond, even her own kids. And she says, so at my funeral, I've instructed them that they have to watch all 209 episodes of it. (laughs) Yeah, that's painful, right? But I don't want you to miss this first and important point. Probably my most important point is this, that if we're going to be a great parent, if we're going to be a great mother, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, the second thing, and it's kind of obvious, is that the, the mother of James and John had a relationship with her sons. And the fact that she was hanging out with them, I mean, don't you love this picture? We, we probably never think about this. That, that this woman, Thunder, or whatever her name was, she actually was part of Jesus' entourage. And not only that, he not only had James and John's mother, who else's mother did he have? His own mother. He's got his own mother, Mary, hanging with him. I mean, could you imagine rappers, uh, you know, rolling with, you know, in their posse with their mothers? Do you think Snoop Dogg and Eminem have their mothers with them? I don't think so. You know Eminem? His mother is suing him for $10 million because he has this big story that he tells about his upbringing. And she says the whole thing's a big lie. And I just love this picture. I'm just wondering if you ever imagine this. You know how when you have a posse, an entourage, you don't just go places, you roll. 
You know what I'm talking about? You roll, you walk a certain way, and everybody walks a certain way, and you know, you, there's wind blowing in your hair. As you imagine them, you imagine the posse, they're, they're rolling into town, and you know, all of them there, they got their mothers with them. <laughs> I mean, how uncool is this picture? I think it's hilarious. And one of the stories that, that I really, really like is the story of Cana. So Jesus gets invited to this wedding of Cana. You know this, because this is where his first miracle takes place. And so it says, he brought the 12 with him. Imagine bringing your 12 buddies and I'm sure the mothers, right? And so they go to this wedding. Imagine 12 uninvited guests. So anyway, they show up at this wedding. Jesus' mother is there. They're all there. Because there's too many people at the wedding, they run out of wine. So we have the mother comes running over to Jesus and says, uh, Jesus, uh, they've run out of wine. To which Jesus says, what's that got to do with me? Which tells me he wasn't the guy doing all the drinking. Just for that reference, okay? He says, what's that got to do with me? She completely ignores him like a mother would, right? And turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Yeshua will solve all our problems. And so, so anyway, what choice does he have, right? And you know, people have always wondered about this because then what did he do? He turned the water into wine. And people, for the life of them, theologians for the life of them, they can't figure out this one simple question. Why of all the things that Jesus could have done, of all the miracles that could have been his first miracle, why did he turn water into wine? And the simple answer is what? Because his mother told him to. That's why there's something powerful about having a relationship with your children that I don't want you to miss. You know, this is proof, I think, that we have in Scripture that Jesus was Jewish for three reasons. Number one, he lived at home till he was 30. Number two, he took over the family business. <laughs> Number three, his mother thought he was God, right? <laughs> So I want to I talk to you for a minute about uh, another sort of twist on this. Some of you maybe have seen this miniseries that was out recently called Mrs. America. And Mrs. America, it was starred Kate Blanchett. She did a fantastic job. And she played Phyllis Shoffley. And she was the one, the woman that fought against the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment for Women, that was the battle of the feminists in the 60s. And so you had all of these famous feminists like Gloria Steinem and Betty Friedan and these different people, and they were battling for the Equal Rights Amendment. And then you had this group of women led by Phyllis, or in this movie, Kate uh, Blanchett, that were fighting against it. And it's complicated. I don't want to get into the reasons on that. One of the things that really cracked me up in this show was they had Betty Friedan played by Tracy Ullman, the British comedian, and she was a riot. She stole the show. Every time she was on screen, she said the most ridiculous thing. She just nailed this role. And the whole feminist movement was actually based on the book that Betty Friedan wrote. It was called The Feminine Mystique. That was sort of the Bible of the feminist movement in the 1960s. And she uses a phrase all the way through her book, which was called this, the problem that has no name. And what do you think, take a wild stab at it, what do you think the problem that has no name was, actually was? And that problem, of course, was motherhood. And she was saying the problem is actually motherhood, even though she wouldn't name it. That's what she was talking about. The fact that motherhood interferes with the progression of women in society and holds them back, and et cetera, et cetera. So that was sort of part of her thesis. It wasn't the whole thing. And it was, of course, a huge, huge, huge bestseller. 25 years later, 
There is a Canadian author by the name of Danielle uh, Crittenden. She's married to David Frum, if you're trying to connect the dots. And she wrote this rebuttal 25 years later called What Our Mothers Didn't Tell Us, Why Happiness Eludes the Modern Woman. And I'll just give you her short thesis. It's this simple. She says, you know what, ladies? You can't do it all. And the feminist movement told you that you have to do everything. You have to be super mom, the high-powered executive. You have to be a glamour queen. You have to be the fitness freak. And you can't do it all. You actually have to make some decisions along the way and compromises along the way because you can't do everything. And this is the quote from her book that I thought was fascinating. She said this. She said, Young mothers are told not to let their motherhood interfere with their career and not to be defined by motherhood. But what they weren't told was how they were going to feel the first time they held their baby in their arms and instantly they could think of nothing else other than baby. And the reason that happens is that is a God-given gift that God gives to a mother. And there is this, what I'm calling the time of your life, a season of your life, where you just have to make it your priority. These kids have such incredible needs. They are 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They are completely, completely overwhelming in what is required from them. How can you do anything else? Now, you can try Obviously, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying for a minute, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you shouldn't be that high-powered executive. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a doctor, a lawyer, or an Indian chief. What I'm saying is you probably have to take part of that season of your life to focus on the important gift that God has given us. And see, that's what Kathy did in our life. She had a much better career than I did by a long shot. And she took 10 years off so that she could focus on motherhood. It's just sort of the way it's got to be once in a while, because otherwise we're not going to succeed in life if we, God gives us this gift called children and we don't attend to it. So I want to tell you a little historical background on this. I think it's fascinating. So if you look at the French kings, there were 69 kings in the history of France. And of those 69 kings, 66 of them were tyrants. That's a pretty bad run. And only three of them were considered good kings. And by good kings, I mean compassionate, caring uh, servants to the people of France. And if you read the history of France, they'll sort of pick out those three. And incidentally, those three were, were Louis VI, Louis IX, and Louis XII. So they're multiples of three. I don't know if that means anything. But here's what you probably don't know is those three good kings were the only kings that were actually raised by their mothers. All the rest, the other 66 that all ended up as tyrants, were actually raised by tutors and were raised in the court and were raised to be these leaders and were raised by people that didn't care for them and love them and they never saw the nurturing of their mother. And Louis IX was the only one of these kings that actually was canonized as a saint. And the reason I know that is because when you see pictures of him, he always has a dinner plate behind his head. Apparently, that's a telltale sign that you're a saint. Think, do you think someday I'll have one of those dinner plates? Not very likely. <laughs> but you get my point here. And, and, you know, I like to put it this way. Behind every successful man, there's a surprised mother-in-law. <laughs> I told that joke one time and I said, I said, yeah, my mother-in-law is certainly surprised. And my wife said, 
What do you, I'm surprised that you think you're successful. <laughs> so there you go. So number one, she had a relationship with Jesus. Number two, she had a relationship with her sons. And number three, she brought her sons to Jesus. You, you, I, you probably noticed that in this picture, that it was the mother coming and bringing her sons. We don't know what level of reluctance or excitement they had about that moment. And you can imagine, these are growing sons. They're not 12. They're growing men. They're fishermen. I could just gra- imagine her grabbing them by the ear and leading them. We're going to go see Jesus, and I'm going to get position for you. I've got a plan. You come along. Ow! 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 <laughs> she drags them over. And that's in the more literal sense. But in the figurative sense, I think one of the greatest responsibilities that a mother has is to bring her children to Jesus. And I know the scripture actually claims that it's a father's job. You go read the book of Deuteronomy. It says, fathers, instruct your children in the ways of the Lord. Instruct your children in the law that they may keep it. All the way through. But then we go and we find these stories in scripture. And we find out it's actually the women that are leading them to Christ. And we know that today, it's actually twice as likely that a person comes to Christ through their mother than the father. Did you know that? And I'll tell you something else important on this, is that 64% of people come to Christ before they're 18 years old. 64% of all Christians, that happened before they're 18. It tells you how important the role of a parent is. While they're still in your home is the time when they're likely to come to Christ. And so we need to capitalize on that season. Even though the father's job might be easier for the father to do it, we find it oftentimes it's the mother. And, you know, one of the interesting stories about that is when you look at Timothy, we often refer to Timothy as the convert of the Apostle Paul. Do you know that that's not true? That he was a disciple of Paul, but he wasn't a convert. When we go and read the story in the book of Acts, we discover that he was actually already a Christian in the church at Lystra when Paul returned to that city. And it specifically credits, you'll remember the story, his mother Eunice... And his grandmother, Lois. And they were the ones that brought Timothy to faith. Yes, Paul discipled him and raised him up as a leader in the church. But you can give the credit to the mother Eunice and grandmother Lois. And when I was preparing this message and thinking about that, I was thinking about my my own life, life, my own upbringing. It was my mother that dragged her six snotty-nosed kids, of which I was one of them, to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, she dragged us off. She brought us to Jesus. And it was sort of interesting when I think back at it, I didn't kind of connect it until more recently, that my dad never went to church with us. In fact, he slept in every Sunday morning. This was his routine. He slept in on Sunday morning. And when we got home at around noon or so, my dad was gone and he went to the office every Sunday afternoon. Every Sunday afternoon, he went to the office. I remember he would come home. I said, why do you go to the office on Sunday? He always used to answer this. He said, to keep the wolf away from the door. So the story of the three little pigs was a true story. And I was in it. (laughs) My dad was keeping the wolf. Imagine your little brain, right? My dad is keeping the wolf away from the door. I'm so glad he's doing that. And so my mother actually was instrumental in leading all of us kids to Christ throughout our life. And here we are, the Church of the Rock is 34 years old this year, 34 years old, and there's only one person that is still in the church after 34 years, 
And that's my mother. She's the only one that's been coming this whole time. Now, my wife's been coming as well, but she can't actually leave the church without divorcing me. So that's a whole, that's a, that's a whole different scenario. And so I just wanted to credit my mom was sitting right over here. And I just want to thank her for being so instrumental in leading myself and others to Christ. So I'm commending her as a mother. Now I'm going to throw her under the bus as a grandmother because she's not that good at it. Trust me on this. When we had kids, my mother says to me, Mark, if you ever want me to take care of the kids, just call me. I'll run over and take care of the kids. I thought, oh, that's a great offer. So first time I phoned her up, I said, can you come and watch the kids? She said, oh, no, I'm going for lunch with the girls today. I can't do it. Next time I said, no, no, I'm going to play tennis. Next time she had another excuse, another excuse. <laughs> Years went by. Years. And she never watched our kids once. She had an excuse every single time. And so one day we were going to a wedding and I was discussing it with Kathy and she said, well, you can ask your mother. You know what the answer is going to be. Well, my mother didn't have an excuse that day. She couldn't think of anything else to do. So she said, okay, drop the kids by. So we dropped the kids off at her house and we went off to the wedding. It was in the afternoon, afternoon wedding. So we went, we were all dressed up and suit on. Kathy had a, a dress on and, and we went to the wedding. <laughs> we came back. I'll never forget this. We get back to pick up our kids. Kathy's going, I don't know what to expect. I said, what, what could go wrong? What, what could you expect? You know, it'll be fine. So we come in the back gate and there's my mother and my three children, all this big, uh, standing on the deck. My mother's got a cup of coffee in one hand. She's got the hose in the other hand and she's hosing down my kids like this with those. Drinking coffee and hose, hosing them off. And they're soaking wet. I said, Mom, what are you doing? She says, the kids got all dirty eating chocolate ice cream. I didn't want you to have to take them home dirty. So I'm just cleaning them off. I said, you're soaking them. They're soaking wet. You didn't want me to take them home dirty, so I have to put them in my car. Soaking wet. This is an absolute true story. So we loaded our kids into the car, put some towels on the back seat. I'm thinking, Kathy's saying, we're never leaving our kids there again. All right, that was fun. Also a true story. So the first thing is this, is that, that you have a relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. Secondly, a relationship with your children. Third, you lead your children to Christ. And the last final thing about John and James' mother is she knew how to pray. I want you to think about this for a moment. We always badmouth this mama for what she did. Remember the, 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 the other 10? They were indignant. They were so displeased with it. They just thought this was such a bad scene. Do you know when you look at this story, Jesus was not the least bit upset about any of it. He was unmoved by the whole thing. And, and look at the posture of this story. It says that she came to Jesus with her sons and she knelt down before him and she made a request how many of you think that looks like prayer? That's a posture of prayer. She didn't come and demand something of him. She just went and knelt down and made this request. And do you remember what his answer was? What do you wish? She, he was actually, if it was within his power to do, he was going to do it. <laughs> so she asked big. And she says, well, all I want, it's just a small thing. I just want my two boys to sit on your right hand and your left when you're coming into your kingdom. He's going, oh boy. He says, I'd love to do that for you. I can't. It's not mine to give you. 
But I want you to think about something. Let's talk about those two boys for a moment. What happened with those two boys? Who was the leader of the church at the beginning of the, uh, the book of Acts? It was James. He ended up being executed, martyred. He was the first martyr in the church. John, he was the last man standing. He was the last of the 12 to die. He lived decades into the future and he ended up writing the book of Revelation and he talks about this incredible encounter he has with God and he gets caught up into the, into the very heavens itself. And here's what I want you to think about. I would not be surprised if when we get to heaven, we're going to see John and James on Jesus' right hand and left. I would not be surprised to see that. I have no way of knowing that, but I'm thinking, wouldn't that be just like Jesus to answer that prayer? It would be. But here's what I don't want you to miss. When you look through scripture, you see praying moms. Here's a praying mom. We see Mary. She was a praying mom. We see Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. She was a praying mom. Hannah, praying mom. Rebecca, praying mom. You go through scripture, one praying mom after another. So I don't finish today with one final story about a praying mom. So many of you would maybe know the name R.A. Torrey, Reuben A. Torrey. One of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. He wrote this book, The Power of Prayer and The Prayer of Power, wrote many other books. He was a contemporary of Dwight L. Moody's about 100 years ago. Uh, he had preached, by the time he died, he had preached in every English-speaking country in the world. Uh, incredibly successful, tons of books, dozens of books actually, uh, on prayer, on, on the power of the Holy Spirit, on a whole bunch of other subjects. Uh, tremendous man of God. But what most people don't know is his story. See, he grew up in this home he, that was a Christian home. His mother was a Christian, but he wouldn't have anything to do with the faith whatsoever. And uh, he rebelled against it, wouldn't go to church, wouldn't accept it. His mother prayed for him. His mother impressed upon him to come to Christ. He got so sick of it when he was a young man. He said, I am sick of you calling out my sins, and I'm sick of you praying for me. I'm leaving. And he left. And she begged him not to go, but he left. And when he went out the door, she said, you were on the wrong path, son. And one day, you're going to be at the end of your rope. And you remember the God of your mother. And you call on him, and he will be there for you. So off he went, and he lived like the devil. He lived an absolute reprobated life, degenerate life. He was drinking and getting into all kinds of trouble. And eventually, he was living in a hotel room, living in this room. He was at the end of his rope. His life was ruined. And he thought, I have no reason to live. And he went to the drawer where he kept his revolver, and he pulled out his revolver. And he decided he was going to shoot himself and take his own life. And in that moment, he remembered the words of his mother when she said, when you're at the end of your rope, call on the God of your mother. He called on the God of his mother who answered and the Holy Spirit overshadowed him and he was miraculously converted to Christ and went on to be one of the most successful evangelists in history. You see, prayer works. And one of the things we discovered about John and James' mom was she knew how to pray. So she had a relationship with Jesus. She had a relationship with her son. She brought them to Jesus, and she knew how to pray. You know, mothers, I know that one of the greatest challenges in your life is parenting. It's so all-consuming. And I know that sometimes you think, for this I got stretch marks. I understand that. And it sometimes doesn't worth, seem worth it, but in the end it's worth it because nothing is more valuable than the children. They are a heritage of the Lord. They are his reward. He has gifted you and called you to the 
higher calling, which is parenting. And I want to end with this thought that motherhood is the time of your life. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. I want to take one more moment here and just suggest that some of you watching right now probably have a mother that's been praying for you. Chances are. If you haven't invited Christ into your life, what better time than Mother's Day weekend to make that decision? What better time than to receive the fruit of the prayer of your mother? Who knows how many years she's been praying for you? Or your father, or your friends, or your family, or whoever's been praying for you. And it's the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do is accept the work of the cross that Jesus has done for you. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment, but I want you to do something if this is you. If you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, if you're not sure you'd go to heaven if you die tonight, I want you to make that decision today. Just by clicking on that little button that pops up, raise hand, you click on that button, and then I want you to join me in this prayer, and we'll all pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. I thank you that people have been praying for me. And today I make that decision to come to you, that my sins are forgiven, my past is washed away. Today I'm a new creation in Christ, because you not only died, but you rose again, and you forever live to be my Lord. In Jesus' name, today, I'm a Christian, a child of God. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and welcome to the family. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.